Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 451. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. I have a phenomenal guest for you. A student who shows that story matters more than anything else. You don't have to have perfect sets, although hers are very good. You don't have to have the perfect extracurriculars. Again, although hers are good. Everything that this student has done has followed, although although she probably didn't listen to me, but has followed my advice to go and chase your passions. And as a result, her application cycle was probably the most successful cycle I have ever seen. The most successful cycle I have ever seen. We're going to find out how many acceptances our guest today received here in a minute. But before we jump in, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. You can get all of your MCAT needs at blueprintmcat.com. One of the most common questions I get is what score do I need to get in? And unfortunately, that answer is different for everyone. Depends on who you are. Depends on what your total application looks like. It depends on the schools you are applying to and whether or not they're willing to give you a chance. I often say that your MCAT score has to be good enough right? In air quotes, as I say that, it has to be good enough. And where that good enough line lies is really up to you. Now, obviously, getting in with a poor MCAT score is not likely, right? It's possible, but not probable. I was having a conversation recently with a student who's really, really struggling on her MCAT. And she still has the possibility of getting in because she has an amazing story behind her stats. But it's not probable. It's possible, but it's not very probable. And she knows that that's one of those things that she's going to have to continue to work on. And we'll get her there. We'll, We'll help her cross that finish line together. But that line, unfortunately, is not a solid line in the sand. It's different for everyone. I think the lowest I've seen a student, me personally, uh, obviously you can go look at the data that the AAMC puts out. Unfortunately, that's just AAMC data for people who apply through AMCAS. But the lowest I've seen personally, someone who I've interacted with, I believe is a 494. 
right? Not, not, not a great score, not something I would tell anyone to apply with, but they went ahead and did it anyway. So what score do you need to get in? As good as you can get. That's always the answer. The highest MCAT score that you can get. And for help to get the best possible score, go to blueprintmcat.com today. All right, so I, I mentioned that I'm gonna tell you about to this student and everything else. Let's go ahead and say hello to Ashley, and you're gonna hear all about her story right now. Ashley, welcome to the pre-med years. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I am excited to chat with you because it's it's not very often that I get to talk to someone who has had as many acceptances to medical school as you. And I'm going to lead with that little teaser. I'm not going to say how many acceptances just yet, but I want to know, when did you first realize you wanted to go to medical school? Ooh, when I realized I first wanted to go to medical school. So this actually happened when I was a lot younger, probably, I don't know, in, in, middle, in middle school, probably around fifth, sixth grade, something like that. Um, we did a project in home economics class and the professor asked us, she was like, okay, so just find a career that you want to find uh, that you'd be interested in. And what popped up on my screen after I took one of those little surveys was a cardiothoracic surgeon. Mm. So I went home to my parents that day and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon when I grow up. And they're like, whoa, whoa, chill with that. Um, you know, you need to kind of try that out first before you start going around <laughs> saying things like that because you don't, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So that's like the first little instance of like, you know, I might be interested in medicine. And then once I um, got older, I joined the local ambulance center and I was just like, okay, I'm going to try this out and let's yeah. see where this goes. And then from there, it just kind of developed more and more. So with that response, and I'm sure it's not verbatim about chill, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> that's uh -huh. not the most supportive response I would hope that, that students get through this journey. Any physicians in the family, Any anyone who you're following in the footsteps of? No, actually nobody. So that's why I think I kind of caught my parents off guard there as well. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So they were like, wait a minute. That sounds like a long time. That sounds like a lot of money. Uh, yeah. And yeah, no. As, as you progressed on, you, you mentioned joining like the, the ambulance kind of crew. Uh, mm -hmm. As you progressed on, where were you finding the most support? And, and most encouragement for you on this journey? Yeah, so um, in terms of finding support, I, I so regardless of that story, my family has been my biggest support system. Good. And they're yeah. just like, we haven't seen it done. We don't know what that looks like, but we know that you can do it. Love if anybody it. in our family could do it, you could do it. So they've always been with me like every step of the way. Um, and then as I went to college, I didn't receive too much support. I was too scared to even tell people that I was pre-med. Mm. I went to an advisor and and we've heard this story so many times where they're just kind of like, you should try another track because of this C you got there, this <laughs> B you got over there. So um, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I received too much support in college. But once I started, once I started my job at the Feminist Women's Healthcare Clinic, which is an organization I worked for in Atlanta, I was surrounded by a lot of doctors and they're just kind of like, you could do it. You're a smart kid. You could pull through and you'd, you'd make a great doctor. So that was like the first time that I was like, oh, these doctors talking to me about this. Yeah. Um, and that was something that just really kind of pushed me forward. That's awesome. As you were transitioning from high school to college, knowing 
apparently that you wanted to go to medical school. How were you figuring out what college should I go to? What should I major in? All of these things that come along with being a pre-med. How, how did you navigate those waters? Oh, oh, that was that was interesting. So when I was choosing a college, um, I was of the mindset that, oh, um, because I, I was born in New York and, and raised in New York. So I was like, I just want to get away from New Yorkers. I want to get out of the East Coast. <laughs> I need a culture shock. That's what I was into. So that's how I ended up deciding on Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, the other side of the East Coast. Mm. Um, and then when I got there, I found out that everybody was from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. <laughs> and I was like, oh, perfect. Um, but then slowly I did start to realize that there were a lot of cultural differences between the South and the North. So that was like how I decided on my college. I know I probably should have looked into other programs, but I was just looking for a culture change. Um, and in terms of my major, I just went in, I thought I was going to be a biology major because that's what I needed to get into medical school. But then along the way, I found women's gender and sexuality studies. I fell in love with those courses and I declared myself a gender studies major shortly after. Wait a minute. How can you go to medical school as a gender studies major? You didn't major in biology, chemistry, mm-hmm. biochem. How is that possible? No minors, neither. No, my yes. oh my lord. <laughs> so as you were navigating these waters, right? Gender studies, yeah. I, I'm guessing, is not a lot of the quote unquote typical prereqs that that one would expect to go through undergrad with when applying to medical school and to prepare for the MCAT. How did you fit that all in? Yeah, so when I when I first found my love for gender studies and I was taking those classes, getting involved in those clubs, I was also trying to do some of the um, pre-matriculation requirements like biochemistry, all of that. Um, and I wasn't juggling everything very well. I wasn't. And, and I luckily I did have a research mentor and she sat me down. She's like, listen, I see that you've got your foot in all of these different worlds here. You're trying to work. You're trying to volunteer all of this. Um, but just keep in mind that if you really want to be a doctor, medicine is always going to be there. And you should really be taking this time to see if there's something that can steal your heart away from medicine, because if there is something, you got to follow that. So I was like, OK, I maybe gender studies could be that thing. Um, so that's why I ended up uh, diving completely into gender studies. I got an internship, um, but I my classes just kept coming back to a focus of women, gender and health, gender, health and society, gender and reproductive rights. And I just couldn't, I missed it, the sciences too much. So that's why as soon as I graduated from Emory, I ended up doing a post-bac and fitting all of the pre-matriculation requirements in there. Yeah. Were, were you doing a post-bac because it, as it seems, you just didn't have enough room for all the sciences? Or were you also, on top of that, needing to recover from a poor GPA, which is what a lot of students will will chase a post back for? Yeah, I, I think that it it was mainly just trying to get in those pre-matriculation requirements that I've never taken. Mm-hmm. Because I, I started off at Emory with taking chemistry, um, and then I went into Orgo, and then I had plans to take uh, biology the next summer, but then I decided I wanted to study abroad. And I was just kind of like, you know what? those courses will still be there when I get back. (laughs) So eventually it just ended up being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to have to do a post-bac instead of trying to fit all the sciences into another summer. Yeah. So what I'm hearing and what I love is that you are doing what I talk about all the time. And that's just chasing what you want to chase. You're chasing the major you're interested in. You're chasing studying abroad, which you're interested in. And you just are like, I'll figure everything else out as it comes. Yeah. And it definitely worked out a lot better 
than I had imagined. At first I was all concerned in like my timeline. I'm just kind of like, wait, I should just like, you know, just go through with it so I can get into medical school right after college. But then it's like slowly, as I got older, I realized like it's my timeline. Yeah. You know, even though I can compare myself to people all I want, it's not going to make a difference and it doesn't do me any good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the common fear is that when you go and chase those passions that you are not going to be able to prove to medical schools that you want to be a physician, that you're really interested in something else. Was that a fear that you ever thought about? And and do you think it was ever realized when, when you were on your multiple interviews about like, are you sure this is what you want? Because you studied abroad, you did these gender studies. Like, are you really interested in being a doctor? Yeah. So honestly, that wasn't a fear of mine. Um, I, I just, I just saw it as that I was chasing things that I enjoyed. And, um, especially when it came to like the gender studies classes and like all of the experiences I had through that path that I chose, a lot of them are very connected to medicine. And the way that I talk about gender studies, um, I, I think that that's an important major that you need if you're working with humans in any capacity, just understanding how society works, how these different systems operate around us. Like you need that anywhere you go. So I don't think that it's really, you can really peel them apart too much. So that's why I don't, I don't think I really had that concern in interviews as well. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you're, you're going through your post back, getting the prereqs. How much of a switch was that for you going from gender studies to hard sciences? Oh yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was okay. Um, I, I thought that it was kind of, in a way, refreshing because I did miss the sciences. I did miss the numbers and working in that way. But then, of course, when I got to organic chemistry, um, that was hard. Um, it almost it almost had me out for the count for for the second time, um, and that was definitely a hard switch to make. Mm. Um, but but I respected it because uh, orgo is definitely one of those classes that it just forces you to think in a different way and like orient your mind differently. So I, I still respect it. Yeah. Were there any fears going through your post back and, and struggling in a couple of those classes of like, I, I'm not going to be academically strong enough of an applicant. They're going to see my gender studies and they're going to see that I struggled a little bit nor go in my post back and they're not going to take me seriously. Yeah, there was a lot of that, especially in the beginning. I was just kind of like, you know, this is my shot. Um, a, this post back is expensive. So like I have to do well. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and I kept hearing from people, you got to get like, if you're doing a post back, you got to get a 4.0. <laughs> and I didn't have a 4.0 in the post back. So, so for a while I was nervous, but then after I got my first few Bs and I'm like, okay, so 4.0 isn't going to happen. I just accepted it. And it's just kind of like, okay, let's go on from here. Some school will take me because they'll see like what I've done besides just the grades, besides just the numbers. Yeah. Stat-wise, are you comfortable talking about how you ended up stat-wise? Yeah, of course. Let's, I'm proud of my stats. Let's, let's hear it. So <laughs> so from a, a post-bac GPA, let's ignore undergrad, post-bac GPA, yeah. what, what do you know what your post-bac GPA was? I believe it was a 3.65. So solid. Somewhere around there. Solid yeah, post-bac. Solid. Yeah. So you're yeah. like, oh, I struggled with OCHEM and I got my bunch of Bs, which is a three out, like 3.65 solid post-bac GPA. No, no concerns there. I was happy with it. <laughs> Very good. All right. I'm not concerned about that at all, which uh, again, kind of foreshadowing uh, how you ended up this cycle. I don't think medical schools were concerned at all. And I talk about this okay. all the time, right? 
someone telling you, oh, you're doing a post back, you should get a 4.0. The language I use, especially depending on the person, is is you should get as close to a 4.0 as possible, right? And and as possible for you was a 3.65. Still very solid uh, and, and a great GPA that isn't going to concern a lot of people. So that's that's awesome. When it came to taking the MCAT, again, core foundation of, of science was missing because of the gender studies, but you're doing it in post-bac. How did you balance taking the MCAT, doing your post-bac work, all of that fun stuff? Or did you separate things so that you had time for everything? I mean, if if I were to go back in time, <laughs> uh, I would definitely start studying for the um, MCAT a little bit sooner, along with my post-bac courses, um, which was suggested. But I was just kind of like, let me just get through these courses, you know, one thing at a time. I'm yeah. a Virgo, so I like to do things <laughs> one thing at a time. Um, yeah, so once I finished the courses, I started diving into my MCAT studying. But that was around the same time that COVID started getting really bad. Mm. So my test was pushed back three times until I was able to take it. But um, in terms of balance, it, it was constantly a balancing act, of course. Um, and I don't think that I really did get that balance until it was like right up to my test day that yeah. last week. Yeah. How'd you do on the MCAT? Mm-hmm. I I loved my score. I got a 510. <laughs> awesome. Great job. <laughs> yeah. I was I was so happy with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I definitely got really burned out when I was taking the MCAT. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my first experiences with burnout. And I was just, and from that point onwards, I said, never again am I going to take sleep for granted, a healthy diet, um, just time away from the computer and away from the books and just like socializing with other people. I I learned so much from that exam besides just the science. What what were your your symptoms of burnout? It it was so weird because I remember when when I realized that I was burned out, I felt fine. I felt like, you know, I'm going to review this exam. I'm going to do this. But my scores kept going down Mm. and down and down. And I just couldn't figure out why. Um, I I still felt like I had energy, but the knowledge wasn't staying there. And as a result, I saw this downward trend. Interesting. But you were able to recognize it and recover, obviously, to to get a solid score. So applications roll around. We're in the middle of COVID, not fun Mm -hmm. for anyone. How were you also getting clinical experiences? Were were you able to get clinical experiences pre-COVID and and maybe even during COVID? Yeah. So so pre-COVID, I was able to get clinical experience because when I was in Atlanta, I worked at the health clinic. Um, and, and I worked there for about three years. Nice. Still one of my most meaningful experiences. I loved uh, what I did there. I was a health educator. So I, you know, I helped patients navigate their procedures, birth control, um, and just different conversations about health. And I also worked in the back with the doctors in the procedure room. Um, and that was when I was in college. And then when I came back to New York to do the post-bac, I was like, you know, I want a job where I can probably study sometimes, but also still make some money to save up for the application season. So that's when I got a job as an EMT. Nice. Very cool. So getting, getting lots of clinical experience, proving, proving Mm -hmm. to yourself, proving to schools that you're, you're wanting to do this. I love it. Yeah. So applications and, and telling your story. I am very much focused on telling your story, showing the admissions committee who you are, why you want to be a doctor, not just how amazing you think you are um, and, and how you're ready for, the, for medical school and to be a doctor. How did you 
craft your application? How did how did you find out how to tell your story? Yeah, so um, I, I feel like there's so many stories that we have in general in life lately. Like, it's just so hard to pick one. So when it came to writing my personal statement, I had like four different stories lined out. Um, highlighting like what I thought were like the more the most concrete aspects of who I am uh like my love for gender studies and social justice like my upbringing and how I got to the place that I'm at right now um like like the biggest struggle that I've ever had to go through I I lined all of them up and I I was happy with all of them and then I gave them to people and I said which one um do you think really portrays me the best And, and that's what I used to really just kind of craft my personal statement but whatever I didn't use for my personal statement ended up going into my application in different sections yeah um and just making sure that I was telling a story throughout and really reflecting on all of these experiences and thinking like if I could sum this up in like one two sentences what would I say about all this time that I've spent here yeah talk about that reflection because I I believe that's probably one of the most important parts of telling your story. And so many students skimp on that part. They they just like, just ignore it. And they're like, story, 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 no reflection, story, 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 no reflection. And it, mm-hmm. you brought it up of like, I reflected one or two sentences, why it's important. How How did you do that? What did reflection mean to you as you were crafting this story? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that a huge part of it, and this also goes back to something that I learned from you as well. Um, don't do things to just check them off the box uh, or check off a box somewhere. Um, because a huge, I think that a lot of people struggle with this. Like when you do an activity strictly for your application, it's hard to find that reflection and that why you started it in the first place. Because with every activity, I try to go back and, and just kind of think about why did I do it in the first place? Why did I stay there? Um, what did I learn from it the most? Or, or like what moments stuck out to me the most? And, and that's how I really just kind of lined up all of my activities. Nice. But none of none of my answers as to why were, oh, I just needed this. I needed research. I needed volunteering. I didn't have anything like that. Most of my activities were things that I wanted to do for a long time for a reason. So many students email me, ask me questions on, on Instagram Live or come up to me at conferences when we used to have conferences. Dr. Gray, I have, I have these two things to choose from. What do you think will look better to medical schools? What do you think will help me stand out on an application? How did you not fall victim to that mentality? Um, in that case, I... I think that it's a huge part of just understanding that every single space that you have on your application is so valuable. It's gold. And even even if and I say that even if you're the most boring person in the world, it's still not going to be enough space to tell your story and who you are as a person. So so I didn't think of like what what do other people think is better in this case? I was trying to tell my story the most and just kind of reflecting on what I think would was missing in yeah. my application and what fit that best there. Yeah, that's that's incredible. When it when it came to getting interviews, how much of that story and how you crafted your application, how much did that come up to to give you the confidence to know that how you crafted the application was a big part in them wanting to get to know you more? Yeah, um, I, I would say definitely in the first few interviews that I went on, of course, I was sweating. <laughs> uh, I was super nervous and I'm just like, oh. 
uh, like the first few sentences are always croaky and everything like that. But for the first few interviews, the interviewer just sat across from me on the on the computer screen and they just talked for about 10 minutes straight about how much they loved how I told my story and how beautiful my writing was. And that was just something that kind of like really drew up my confidence and like really carried me throughout the interview cycle. Um, just hearing people who obviously read through my application telling me how much they loved my writing and like how I portrayed my story. Yeah. yeah. What was the hardest part of, about the application and interview process? <sighs> the hardest part? Uh, well, well, I will preface this in, in the fact that I didn't know that this application year would be so hard in general. Mm -hmm. um, just, I think that one of the hardest things though is I I made it, I made like a pact to myself. I said, I'm doing this, I'm applying this year and I'm going all in because I don't want to apply again next year or the year after. Like I'm giving it my all. And that meant that I was doing my best on all of those secondary um, applications, my primary applications. Uh, going over revision after revision after revision. When it came, when I was waiting for interviews, I was showing up to events at medical schools, like info sessions, wherever I could possibly find them, connecting with people. And so it was like my my calendar was was jam packed <laughs> for basically an entire year. Whether it was writing, showing up to events, going to interview, second look events, just connecting with people, because I was like, this is it. I have to give it my all here. Yeah. Um. So that that was probably one of the hardest parts in terms of the time and energy. One of the silver linings of COVID was that interviews were virtual and all these events were virtual. Do you think that helped you yeah. in the end? Um, I think that it 100% helped me in the end. I wouldn't have been able to go to all of these interviews if it was um, in person. Yeah. But at the same time, there was a point in the interview season where I didn't have access to Wi-Fi. Um, oh, no. And yeah, that was a whole nightmare. I was trying to get into public coffee shops. I was trying to go to a public park at one point that I thought had Wi-Fi. Um, and especially when I did get 21 interview invitations. So there were times when I had three interviews in a week. And say, no say that again. That say that again. How many interview invites? I had 21 interview invitations. 21. Tw 20, yeah. 21. How many <laughs> schools did you apply to? I applied to 39 schools. You applied to 39 schools and in, interviewed at 21. That's 53.8% interview rate. That's uh, decent. That's, that's pretty decent. I, I think it's decent. Were you expecting <laughs> that sort of love from medical schools? Not at all. Not at all. Um, and I think that and, and I talk about this sometimes with, with people who I'm trying to give advice to, but the reason why I applied to so many schools was because I wasn't confident in myself. I thought, you know, I'm a gender studies major. I don't have a 4.0. My MCAT is good and I'm super happy with it, but I don't know how schools are going to see it in the midst of the Fauci effect and all that's happening this <laughs> that year. That was such BS, um, by the way. But anyway, that's a whole different yeah, story. <laughs> it, it really threw me off, though. And I was just kind of like, I saw that Fauci effect. I'm like, is it? No. And then I kept applying to more and more schools. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that definitely played a role. But I wasn't confident in myself until I started getting a few interview invitations. And I saw, wow, they like me. Like, people want to meet me. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. Did you have any tips or strategies for how you organized all of that information for, for so many schools? How you afforded to apply to so many schools? What, what are your strategies around that? 
Yeah, so um, uh, the first step in terms of affording to uh, apply to all of these schools, being able to afford it, um, a huge part of it is reaching out to people. Like I said, giving it your all. I emailed basically every school on that list, plus a lot more, and asked them if they were willing to give me a fee waiver. Mm. Um, because I didn't qualify for the AAMC fee waiver, even though that got all complicated. But um, just reaching out to schools individually and seeing who could waive the fee, and that was really helpful. I was able to get at least half of the schools Great. the fees waived. Yeah. Um, and in terms of staying organized, whether it's emailing about fee waivers, whether it is um, secondary applications and like when they send it to me, when I'm sending back Excel sheets, all Excel sheets. Um, I mean, I'm a Virgo, so I like to be organized. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the Excel sheets saved my life, basically. Just like, yeah, that's that's awesome. So 21 interviews. What was it like to get that first acceptance? Oh, that first acceptance. I'll the never forget first that one. first acceptance. Yeah. Where were you? What were you doing? <laughs> I was in my I was in my kitchen um at my kitchen table. I don't remember what I was about to do. I, I just remember it was right before Thanksgiving. Um and I opened that email and it said, Oh, we have an admissions decision for you, but I had to like click oh, on a file and that. it had to download. That's so mean. And I was like, I was like, don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was hyperventilating a little bit. And I was just, it, it took a while to hit me that I'm just like, wow, I'm going to be a doctor one day. Yeah. Who's the um, first person you told? Yeah. And the first person I told was my mom. Yeah. And what was her reaction? Yeah. Oh, she, she started crying. Yeah. We're, we're a family of criers. So. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mom was crying. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting how I found out I got into medical school was New York Medical College mailed, snail mailed my wow. permanent record of address, which was in Colorado. I was living in, in Massachusetts. And so my mom got the letter uh, with my admissions decision and she called me. I was at work at the at the gym where I worked. And she's calling and she's crying on the phone call. I'm like, oh, crap, who died? Because that's typically, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, people crying and calling. Um, and, and she she uh, read me the, the the mail. So, yeah, that's definitely a oh, that's so sweet. very, very similar kind of reaction there from from the parents. Yeah. What was it like to get your 18th acceptance? Were, were you just like, all right, come on, like, this is enough. Like, <laughs> like did, were, were you like just in shock? 18 acceptances. Yeah. Every, every time, every time it was, it was special. Um, and, and I also like the thing about going on 21 interviews and getting 18 acceptances, these are all schools that I could see myself at. Mm -hmm. um, and and at, at each acceptance was something special. Yeah, I, I remember the last acceptance that I got was actually on April 30th, I believe. So it was right around that time when I was trying to make a decision. Uh, and I was just kind of like, ah, oh my yeah. gosh, another one. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that feeling never went away. <laughs> that's amazing. 18 acceptances. I think that's the most I've ever heard of. Uh, and so congratulations for all of the hard work that you've put into getting this far. That's phenomenal. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. With that many acceptances, were you able at all to to kind of play schools off of each other for financial aid, potentially? Yes, yes. How did and that I, process I look like? What did that look like? 
Yeah. Um, and, and a huge part of why I did go on 21 interviews is because finances were a huge part of my decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came time to talk about financial and, and what I didn't know about this cycle was that um, you get accepted and it's all nice and everything. But then the financial aid packages don't come until much later in the yeah. process. So I was just like, oh, no. Um yeah, but then once it once I did get my first few um, offers of full tuition scholarships, full rides, I was able to kind of leverage that with places that were closer to home, with with places that kind of matched my um, particular requirements that I'm looking for a little bit better. Um, yeah, so that's how I def- I definitely did use the whole bargaining and playing schools off of each other. That's that's phenomenal. With that many acceptances. A pros and cons list probably gets very out of hand. How did you ultimately decide what school you wanted to go to? Oh, um, yeah. So when it came to that final decision-making process, um, like, like you said, the pros and cons, it, it works when you got a few, but 18. Um, l- luckily, I was able to narrow it down right, mm. to, my, to my top three. And then the, the last three really did give me an issue in terms of making that decision. Um, because it's lovely to get 18 acceptances, and I'm never going to complain about getting 18 <laughs> acceptances, no. Yeah. But um, at the same time, it is difficult when you start forming connections with people at these different schools, and you can really see yourself at these different schools, but then you got to tell them, I'm not going to be attending. Yeah. Um, so, so that was pretty heartbreaking. I had some pretty difficult conversations with like deans who I sent them an email and they called me. They're like, no, 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 get on the phone with me. And I'm just like, no, please don't make me do this. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to break with you the best way. It's I not can. you. It's me. <laughs> it's, it's me. Yeah. I just, I'm not ready to leave home yet. That's what I realized towards the end of it. Yeah. And that's also another thing. Just the decision got a lot harder when I, when I changed over the year mm-hmm. and my priorities changed. Um, and I, I feel that I kind of grew a little bit and and I got frustrated with myself because at one point I was ready to commit to a specialty earlier in the year, um, you know, before I even started everything. And then as I met people and talked to people, I realized, wait a minute, I've seen nothing yet. Yeah. Um, I, I can't commit. So it was just like little things like that that just kept changing over the year that also made it difficult. But through conversations with like people who are closest to me, reminding me, listen, you love this. You're passionate about this. You're going to be happy as, you know, near your support system. Um, Just kind of keeping me grounded. Um, Those conversations are crucial. Everything that you have said to me sounds like you approached your whole journey in the way that I try to preach to students of just following your passions, doing what you want to do, letting that story come through in your applications and not focusing exclusively on what do the medical schools want to see? How do I prove to them that I'm capable of being a doctor? It's here's who I am. These are the things that I'm passionate about. Obviously, yes, you got to be academically capable. Obviously, yes, you have to good mm-hmm. you have to have a good enough MCAT score. Obviously, yes, you have to have some clinical experiences to show that you to yourself and to medical schools that that you understand what it is that you're doing and why you're getting into medicine and all that stuff. And then on top of that, right? On top of that, you are you. And you are not someone putting on this facade to make yourself stand out or to to sell to them that you're that you're compassionate and empathetic and and all these other things, which you are, but you're not you're not just selling yourself throughout the application process. And then when it comes to 
picking medical schools and going on these interviews and figuring out what schools you want to go to, it sounds like all of it was self-reflection about who you are and not, Mm -hmm. again, what most students think about is, well, what's the top rank school? What school is going to be most prestigious on my resume and on what, like what, what's the best name I can get on my diploma? Cause that's going to set me up for success in the future. You were like, which one do I want to go to period end of story? Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and because you made all of those decisions for yourself, you are going to be one of those students who continues to make the right decisions as you go. And, and you're going to just live the life that you want and be happy as you're going through this process because you're owning it all and you're not doing it for everyone else. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> that is but that's phenomenal. A, yeah, that, that's, my, that's my main goal for this year. As I try to transition into medical school and all of that, I, I don't want to lose sight of who I am. And just remember that I'm a human being that's doing medical school, not not the other way around. Yeah. Um, and just trying to keep track of, you know, who I am. That's awesome. If you can give one piece of advice to a student who's listening to this right now, what would that be? My one piece of advice. Um, I would say that if you are applying to medical school, don't just do it halfway. Do it all the way. Give it everything that you've got. Um, because you will learn because the more that you put yourself out there, the more that you're going to learn. Um, so I've learned so much just by talking to students, faculty, deans, um, other applicants like me. Um, so just really put yourself out there and give it everything you got. 18 acceptances. There you have it. 18 acceptances. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Not, not very common. Right. I feel like I need to give a disclaimer, like like one of those stock uh, commercials or something like these. These results are not common and do not expect them because that is just phenomenal. And you can tell just listening to her that she did everything that she wanted to do and nothing. She did nothing to prove anything to anyone other than to do the things that she wanted. And yes, her stats are good. Her stats were good enough. But she followed her passions, and it came through in an application. It came through in her interviews, and she crushed because she did things that she wanted to do. She had the conversations that she wanted to have during her interviews because everything in her application was a part of who she was and not something that many of you ask me, will this look better? Will this look better? Should I do this? Should I do that? She didn't ask those questions. She did what she wanted to do. And it showed in the results. So everyone, go be like Ashley. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.